Earth, wherever you are in our universe, which I assume is on planet Earth. Welcome to the Paul McGuire Report. Whether or not you live in the good old USA, the European Union, one of the uh, Asian nations, or whatever continent you live on, whether you're in Russia, deep in Russia, uh, we get emails, we get correspondence, we get communications from people all over planet Earth on a regular basis. And what, what surprises me is um, due to our numerous uh, internet platforms, you know, like rumble.com and uh, many, many others, due to our numerous internet platforms and our continual war against the psychological warfare behind rigging an individual's numbers in terms of when you see how many people are allegedly following somebody or a ministry, what's the numerical count? And, and, and if you've been in the game like I have for a long time, I wasn't there absolutely at the very beginning, beginning, but I was there on the Internet very close to the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. So I was there at the start of it. There were only a few people that managed to, uh, well, they didn't manage to, they were intelligent, gifted people like Chuck Misler, who, who uh, he was one of the first people uh, that was on at the very beginning. And another person who was on the internet at the very beginning was Art Bell. Now, as time went on, uh, I became close friends with uh, Chuck Misler, and I became a featured guest on the Art Bell show. I remember one particular night I was on for two hours, and the reason he let me sail on for two hours to his massive audience was that Art uh, discovered early on that I was I was not going to give him your typical evangelical microwave dinner presentation, all tidy, neat, and wrapped in a bow, but having no intellectual, artistic, or uh, creative credibility. So he, Art Bell was tracking me in the conversation, and the, I'm not going to tell you. So a lot of things I don't tell you, I can't tell you because I don't. I just don't feel. One is I don't want to be guilty of gratuitous, gratuitous bragging, but the other is, you know, there are certain things that are like sacred moments that even though nobody's asked you not to say anything, you just sense in your spirit that you know certain conversations, certain. Uh, exchanges between yourself and somebody else, even though they didn't ask you to, to ask you to, that there was a certain sacredness to it, and so you feel uncomfortable uh, sharing it publicly. So I want to be careful about what I'm going to share with Art Bell. It's not it's, it's not anything negative. I think he was a super talented guy, but Art Bell had me on for two hours one night, and uh, I think that was the first time I was on his show at that particular moment. And uh, what happened was, he, I could tell, because this is often the case, let's, let's be honest, when you are a Christian uh, Bible prophecy teacher and a minister and an author, et cetera, et cetera, at, at, in the initial part of the conversation, unless one of the producers has kind of felt you out, in the initial part of the conversation, you can often sense a, a very tiny amount of tension in the host because they're wondering, Oh, is this guy going to give us a hardcore preaching session? Is this going to be like a religious born-again monologue? 
And I could tell that Art Bell a few minutes into the program when I was on was relaxed because that's not my approach at all. And so while I was in my studio talking to him in uh, Pahrump, Nevada, where he had his studio at that time, looked more like a, a compound to withstand World War III. And uh, Art did a lot of the technical stuff in his own show. I mean, he was the, often the producer, the engineer, the host, or whatever. But I remember him relaxing because I was not being predictable. My story, in his eyes, had integrity because it wasn't this, you know, I was a bad boy, Jesus saved me, and now I've lived happily ever after. I didn't give him a fairy tale. I gave him the truth. And so he was engaged when he heard my, my story about fleeing from a Christian religious retreat, because he was, he was like waiting for me to, to give the cliched next phrase. You know, you tell him that you went to a Christian religious retreat to find out the answers about Jesus Christ as an atheist. And so already he's expecting me in my next sentence to say, well, I found Christ that night and I lived happily ever after. But I, I didn't play into the cliche. And what I said was, I went to the <laughs> I went to this Christian religious retreat about an hour outside of the campus of the University of Missouri. And when I got there, everything that was going on confirmed my worst nightmares about what evangelical Christianity was all about. And he could relate because because most of the people I meet are turned off. Let's 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 let's, let's not let's not. I was going to use a word, but it'll offend some people. Let's not you know, blow smoke in one another's eyes. Most of the people that the Lord brings into my life, overwhelmingly, the larger percentage of people that come into my life, that the Lord brings in my life for me to minister to, are almost 100% of the time people who have been victimized, abused, uh, shunned, deeply wounded, um, couldn't find any intellectual thinking man, thinking woman's answers, and whatever their experience was with Christianity, it alienated them to such a degree that they never checked it out again. Those are the people that I want to talk to, because those are the people that God wants to reach, that Jesus wants to reach. You know, remember, when Jesus was uh, hanging out with the people, he was hanging out with the tax collectors, and, and nobody did that. That's like an abomination. He was hanging out with the tax collectors. He was hanging out with the prostitutes and hookers. Uh, he was drinking wine with them, not getting drunk, but probably enjoying, and I'm not endorsing this, so don't get all hung up. I personally don't drink, okay? So take a deep breath. I'm not promoting drinking. I don't drink, not for legalistic reasons. I don't have a problem if you drink, by the way. I'm quite comfortable going to a restaurant or a bar if people around me are all drinking. I actually, you may think this is strange, I get a contact high. <laughs> I get buzzed just hanging around people who, who, after they've had a couple of drinks, are finally to, are able to let loose of their ego. And so I'm quite comfortable because that's, you know, that was my background. Now, let me say this, though. I'm not, you know, and I'm not knocking anybody who's in a recovery program. I have had family members who are in, re who are in recovery programs, like my father. And without those recovery programs, he would never have made it. I had the privilege of leading him to Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. I led him in the sinner's prayer. 
And then, standing there with my wife, I felt impressed by the power of the Holy Spirit, as I often do when I'm praying for people. I put my the palm of my hand in the center of his chest, and I felt led to pray. And as I laid my hand, and I talk about this in Power from On High, as I laid my hands on my father's chest, I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit rise up within me, and I felt uh, the gift of faith begin to operate through me. And I used my authority in Jesus Christ, and I commanded his heart his cardiovascular system. I commanded his body to be completely healed. I took authority over his heart and his entire body, soul, spirit, and brain, and I commanded him to receive in authority the healing power of Jesus Christ. And then I continued to pray for him by worshiping God out loud. My wife was worshiping God out loud. And as I was praying for him and worshiping God out loud, I could feel what could only be described as it, you feel it pouring out of you. You feel the rivers of living water funneling out of your inmost being, and they're going right into his inmost being, my dad's inmost being. And then you feel what, what is like the electrical power, the high voltage of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, the dynamite power from on high, and the power of divine healing. And it's like you know what it's like? It's like holding on to a garden, you know, one of these green garden water hoses. And, you know, if you have the hose, which I do, always twist it up, uh, because the hoses in California, you know, they, they get brittle because of the baking sun. And it doesn't shoot out much water, so it doesn't water the trees and stuff. But once I get those kinks out of the green hose, all of a sudden you can feel the water rush through the hose. You can feel the energy of the water rushing through the hose, and then it's almost like the water rushing through the hose reminds you of the rivers of living water that flow out of our inmost being into the person that we're laying hands on and praying for. And it's a force. It's the force of God. It's the dunamis dynamite power of God. So I can feel this power coming out of me by grace. I can feel this energy coming out of me by grace grace, and I am commanding him to be made whole because I have a burden as I'm praying for him, because I know that, you know, he lived a wild life, drank a lot of booze, partied, and everything else. So I was concerned about him. And so as I laid my hands on him and prayed for him and claimed his healing, I could feel the rivers of living water and the supernatural power of God flow into his being, and I could feel God through his spirit healing his body his organs, his tissues, and, and just healing him and delivering him in a profound way. Now, I didn't advertise it. I didn't promote it. I didn't, you know, whoop up a bunch of hyper-emotionalism. After I prayed for him, I didn't make a big deal about it. Uh, I simply stepped out of the way and allowed the Lord to do his good, his, the Lord to do his thing. And then my father looked at me. My father's a tough man. He's now in heaven. Uh, because when he was about to die, I knew he was going to leave the earth. And I jumped on a jet from L.A. to Manhattan, New York City, where I raced to the hospital as soon as possible and saw him in the bed. And uh, uh, I knew, you know, the Lord tells you sometimes, and the Lord told me, this is, this is it. This is his time to take him home. So I ministered to him because I could tell there was a certain amount of fear. And uh, then, like, sometime 
that morning or something, he he went home to be with the Lord because he was born again. So, but before, but back to when I was praying for his heart, he looked in my eyes and he said to me, Paul, I never forgot that prayer you prayed for me. He said, when you placed your hand on my heart, this is my father, he's a tough guy, he was an atheist. But my father said to me, when you put your hand on my heart, I could feel the the intense heat coming out of your hand into my body. I could feel the intense healing power of God uh, coming into my inner man. I could feel myself being healed. And he began to sob a little bit. I mean, he, 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 he braced himself. He didn't break down in tears, but you could see the tears in his eyes. And he was rejoicing because what I touched upon, being guided by the Holy Spirit, was a, a residual anxiety that he often carried with him, with him, which was based on the fact that he knew he abused himself and his health through his wild living all those years. And so he was concerned that, that there would be damage that might short-circuit his life. But as it turned out, and I prayed for him many times, he lived a long and very healthy life up until the time the Lord took him home. So God does answer prayer if you step out in faith. And the thing I want to, to share with you is, you're not the healer. It's not your personality. It's not your good looks. It's not your intelligence. It's not your knowledge of the Bible. It's the fact that you make yourself available to pray for somebody because you, you actually bother to hear the prompting of the Lord. And then when you step out in faith and pray, uh, even if it's just a mustard seed of faith, God will watch your back and he will release the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit to flow through you, and you will see miracles being done at your hands. And I'm talking to every single one of you. If you're willing to get your pride out of the way, and that's the big problem, and the worst kind of pride, by the way, according to Dr. Francis Schaefer, my mentor, the worst kind of, of, of pride, said Dr. Schaefer, is theological pride. And Dr. Schaefer said, the most vicious, pride-based arguments you will ever be involved in in your life are the arguments that Christian theologians and pastors and Christians of different theological persuasions, when they wage war about who's right and wrong concerning a biblical interpretation, according to Schaefer, they are the meanest and nastiest and most vicious people there are. So, you know, think about it. So you make yourself available. And I tried to make myself available. And, and after I finished my mission, and I knew it was going to cost me something, okay? And I'm, I'm not saying oh, what I sacrificed was a big deal. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have a vulnerability in my biological man um, regarding certain diseases like pneumonia and, and you know, those lung-type-related diseases and the coughing infections and the stuff in your lungs. I have a vulnerability to that. So I have to be extra careful. And sometimes people looked at me like I was crazy when I was wearing a mask. Well, I wasn't wearing a mask necessarily because of COVID. But when you have an immune system where you know you have certain vulnerabilities, then it would be wise to not get yourself infected. So in any case, I'm talking to my father in the hospital in Manhattan, New York City. <clears throat> and then... Um, He's lying there half asleep. But I know in my spirit that the reason my father is alive, and he's in a semi-sleep state, I knew my father was alive, you know, deep calleth unto deep. I knew he was alive because I knew, among other people, that my father was waiting for to visit him 
I knew my father had decided that he didn't want to leave this earth until certain family members came up to him, expressed love to him, and he could like he wanted to say goodbye. You know, he wanted to say goodbye. And and when I was counseling him, I said to him simply, you know, Dad, uh, tell the Lord what you want. Now, now I'm aware of the fact theologically that if his time is up, then the Lord may very well overrule my father's desire to be taken home at a particular time, year, or season. The Lord may just overrule that in his wisdom. That's not evil. So I said to him, I said to my dad, tell the Lord what you want. If you want to stay here, tell him that. If, if you're tired and you want to go home, because he would live a full life, and he was, his body was starting to seriously deteriorate, to tell the Lord what you want. Because I knew he couldn't talk. He didn't have the physical energy to talk. So I also knew he had difficulty, difficulty hearing me in the hospital. And there were, you know, it was a room, but, but there was nothing but like sheets, or not sheets, whatever you call them, curtains between the different uh, uh, beds. So I knew the only way to have a conversation with my father, because his voice was so weak and he couldn't hear very well at that particular moment, I knew that I was going to have to walk up, violate my personal rules about keeping myself in a safe distance from people who are sick with infections. And he had pneumonia, by the way, a vulnerability to me. So, so my normal rule is I don't get close to people who have pneumonia and stuff. But I'm well aware that, you know, my father may be going out at any hour. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to have to forget about this pneumonia thing and trust God, a leap of faith. So I got up close to my father where I could whisper in his ear, and now finally he could hear me. And now, because again, I was up close to him face to face, I could understand and hear him when he was able to muster up a whisper of conversation. So he was talking to me in a whisper, and we got to talk. You know, of course, I told him I loved him, and I thanked him for uh, being a wonderful father and stuff like that. And uh, there was tears in his eyes, but I I knew he was going to go home. I knew that. and so. I prayed for him, and once again, as I prayed for him and put my hand on his head, the anointing and the power of God, which is available to you. Let me say this firmly, as uh, as a respected Bible teacher on an international level, and I'm respected because not everybody agrees with my theology, but I don't I don't depart from Orthodox biblical Christian theology, and I don't go off on tangents of spiritual deception, tangents of secular humanism, tangents of New Age doctrine, and I don't go off into areas of apostasy, etc. I'm known as a Bible teacher who is rooted and grounded in the Word of God and has a proven record for over 45 years of ministry in preaching sound doctrine. So when some little pipsqueak tries to attack me, who nobody knows, but you see, he wants to attack me and other people like me, because he's hoping that if he attacks somebody like me, who has, who's the author of 46 books and who's known around the world, he attacks me because he thinks it's going to give a jump start to his career if he picks a fight with Paul McGuire. Well, I don't, I don't bite, you know, there's the fleshly part of me where I know for a certainty that God has given me very powerful rhetorical debating skills 
and that I that I have a God-given ability in terms of a photographic memory, a didactic memory, and I can quote, you know, exhaustively from history, science, theology, the Bible, etc. So these people who think they're going to take me down, or, 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 or shockingly enough, they think that they're going to raise an argument that I never heard or encountered before, that comes from their pride. Of course I've heard their arguments before. I've been around the block. So anyway, but I don't engage in these people. It's not that I'm afraid to. I'm really not afraid to. But you see, what I'm, I am afraid to is not them. What I'm afraid of is that because God has given me a tremendous abundance of skill and power and ability in the area of debating theology, etc., what I'm afraid of is that I might give in to my flesh and basically decimate my attacker, ridicule my attacker, embarrass him or her, because in, in a very short exchange of words and citations and documentation, it will be obvious to anybody listening to us debate that they are in, on the debate stage totally naked. They're not prepared to debate, and they're, they're overwhelmed. And that is, it's at that point that I'm tempted to just, like, decimate them and level them, because they've been very cruel and unfair to me, and they've lied about me. And so that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of giving in to my flesh. Yeah, okay, I win the argument. That, that doesn't surprise me, because that's a gift I have. I win, most, I win just about every argument I'm in. But what I'm afraid of is that I'll give in to my flesh and perhaps not please the Lord if I take them down in a debate. And they're not aware of that, because they're so filled with pride, they don't think that they can be defeated. Okay, so I exchange, you know, my last goodbyes with my father. I prayed for him. I said, I prayed for him. This is what I was saying. As I was praying for my father, I commanded the power of the Holy Spirit to come on his body. I commanded him to be healed. I commanded the divine healing power of God to fill every cell tissue of his body. And I commanded God to bless him and heal him in accordance with what my father wanted. Now, I'm fully aware of the fact that when I pray for people to be miraculously healed, and they're at death's door, or they have a serious disease, that's like walking a gangplank of faith. Because just because I feel led to pray for them, it doesn't guarantee that they will be miraculously healed. It just may be that their time with God is up, and their healing will be God is going to take them home. Because as my good friend David Hawking, the Bible teacher, once told me, regarding healing and things of that nature. He said, my grace is sufficient for, for thee, which means healing doesn't always mean that you're physically healed and restored to, to health. Healing may manifest itself in the form of the grace of God gives you the power to endure physical infirmity. The grace of God gives you the power to be an overcomer when you're battling sickness. And so your healing is contained in the Bible verse, my grace or unmerited favor is sufficient for thee. So I prayed for my father. I could feel the power of God fill him. Tears were in his eyes. He was being filled with power from on high. God was ministering to him and giving him the strength to face what he had to, to face. And then, to my surprise, there were, there were a number of 
soldiers and veterans in the beds next to him and in the beds all around him, but I really couldn't see them because there was these these curtains in front of their beds. And they overheard me talking about being born again and saved, and they asked for prayer. So like a mini revival broke out in this hospital in Manhattan. And uh, my point is, our job is to pray. We are not the healers. If God tells us to step out and pray, we don't discredit God if the person dies after we pray. I really want to drive this home. My father died like a day or two after I prayed for him. It's not that my prayers were not answered. It's not that my prayers were a failure. If that was the case, I would never pray for anybody. It was simply the fact that he had, my father had run his race, and it was time for the Lord to take him home. And as David Hawking and others taught me years ago, when you're taken home to be with the Lord after you're saved, that is the ultimate healing. You're not finally and ultimately healed until your soul is saved and you become a brand new creature in Christ Jesus, and you're born again and you inherit eternal life. That is God's complete and total healing. So I hope that helps you. And then never be afraid of, you know, if you're going to embrace a doctrine which is not which is not fully true, and by a doctrine that is not fully true, I mean if you're going to turn it into a theological doctrine in the sense of thus saith the Lord, and you're going to go around and say constantly, God does not heal people today. Supernatural healing and miraculous healing is a gift from previous dispensations, and a dispensation is a time period. Uh, in the Bible, where there's a certain covenant that's operative between God's people and God. So there were many kinds of miracles in the Old Testament with the Jews, and in the New Testament with the apostles and the disciples, there was all kinds of miraculous healing and signs and wonders. That, despite what people say, and they're incorrect, just because Jesus died and ascended into heaven, that that you know there are there are areas in dispensationalism which are helpful in dividing the different time periods and how God moved in different time periods but if you take dispensationalism too far you inadvertently shut out the possibility of God healing people performing miracles in our time and other times because it is an erroneous teaching to say that um, that signs, wonders, miracles are were part of a past dispensation, and, and God is not performing those miracles in divine healing today. The Bible does not say that. That's a misinterpretation of the Bible. And here's here's my final case in point regarding that. When Jesus spoke to his disciples and apostles, one of the greatest teachings that Jesus Christ ever gave. In fact, we could call them God's last days marching orders for the true Church of Jesus Christ and every true born-again Christian. So the intensity and the priority of this biblical truth and biblical teaching is critical to understand, because one of Jesus Christ's final words to born-again Christians and his church was this. He told them that they needed to go to Jerusalem 
and tarry or wait in Jerusalem until God the Father sends them power from on high, which means God will send upon his disciples the dunamis dynamite power of God. They will be clothed with power from on high. And that happens to those people, those Christians, disciples and followers of Christ, who were tarrying in Jerusalem, and then Jesus ascends into heaven, uh, where he will be in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God until the second coming when he returns to the earth. So you cannot use the theological argument of dispensational theology to, to outlaw the possibility that God still performs miracles, signs, wonders, and healings today. Because if you do that, just look at it this way. Why would God deprive from his church and from Christians the supernatural powers of signs, wonders, healings, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Why would God remove these all-essential power tools from his church at the very beginning of the last days, where the absolute necessity and the absolute need for supernatural power from on high is at the greatest level that it has ever been in the history of mankind. It doesn't make any sense at all. So, obviously, this message by Jesus for signs and wonders, miracles, power from on high, and things of that nature, this was a message that was applicable to the Church, not only for the dispensation when Christ was alive, but for the subsequent dispensations that have occurred cyclically since the birth of the Church on the day of Pentecost in the upper room until our present time. God has not stopped performing miracles. Why would God stop stop performing miracles as we enter the greatest last day's battle of all time? So I want to leave you with that, and I'm not going to argue about it with you. You have to go before the Lord. You have to study the Word of God. You have to check out uh, whether or not what I've just told you is true. But if you're going to check out whether or not what I've just told you is true, you have to do it on the basis that the Word of God is your final foundation. And it's on that basis you make your decisions. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Before you do anything more, visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. You need to get a number of my books. I suggest you get a box of them. I suggest you loan the books prayerfully to people. Just don't give out the books out of legalistic duty. Talk to people about the content of the books. But allow the Holy Spirit, allow God to direct you to which people to give the books to. If you're giving the books to people whose hearts are hard, you're wasting your time. You're planting your seed on hard ground. If you're serious and you ask God, Lord, who do you want me to give these books from Paul McGuire to? The Lord, in a period of time, will lay it on your heart, will place it on your heart, exactly who he wants you to give the books to. Because you will find that if you obey God and give the books to people that are open to the truth in the books, then you're going to plant a seed that will reap a, a rich spiritual harvest. So, so this is critical in this last day's adventure that we're in. The other thing that we need to remember is that as we live in the last days, as we fight a victorious spiritual warfare, moment by moment, we want to be listening 
to the voice of God. We want to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And whenever God speaks to us, whenever God guides us, that's when we need to do what God tells us to do. If we know that we know that we know that it is God Almighty who is imploring us and prodding us to do something. And you will find once you develop the ability, once you develop the skill of being sensitive to the voice of God, you will find that your success ratio in terms of spiritual breakthroughs, salvations, deliverances, miracles, that they will substantially, substantially increase. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. All You can order our books. There's a quantity discount that's very big. You could save a lot of money right now. We pay for the shipping. I want to get, you know, the series of books into people's hands. And then you you, bought, you lend the books to people. But my suggestion to you is you lend it for a short period of time. And then you ask for the book back. You get a sense of whether or not the person you lent it to actually read the book. And then you give it to somebody else that the Lord leads you to give it to. And then you keep going. So you take your, what you're doing is you're investing some of your money in buying my books in sequence because the fruit of these books, when they're actually read by people that have a hunger for God, is they cause revival to break out. They cause a supernatural power and spiritual warfare to be released. And it is a game changer. It's a game changer. So I encourage you to get to get you know a set of books. You're getting a massive discount. When we calculate the monies on it, we're losing money. So let me repeat that to you again. When we sell you books and when we pay the postage, as a general rule, we are losing money on the books we're selling you. So why would I continue to do that year after year? When I was shipping books to Europe and all over the world, I was on an average. Uh, losing anywhere between $100, $150, or $200 for every book shipment I would send to places like Canada and Great Britain, etc. Why did I continue to do that and lose enormous sums of money? Not because I'm a bad steward, not because I'm a bad businessman, but because I felt a deep burden to plant seeds of the truth of the gospel and a biblical worldview in, in these spiritual vacuums of these humanist nations in Europe and in uh, Great Britain and France and Canada and other nations. So, as I would continually say, my wife, as we would pray over the books before they left, she'd say, you know you're losing $250 shipping this to uh, Canada or whatever. And then the ratio of the European and Canadian nations, in my opinion, deliberately losing the books that I would send in because they didn't like the message. Uh, I would tell my wife, yeah, it's cost, we're losing $250 every time we make a shipment like this. I said, but my goal is not monetary. I feel a deep burden to plant the seeds of a biblical worldview, to plant the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of these nations, because they don't have the availability to truth like we have in America. So I said, Chris, honey, it's worth it to me to lose a lot of money, yet know that I'm establishing uh, spiritual territory for Jesus Christ, because at some time in the future, these seeds that we're planting and actually losing money as we plant them, these seeds are going to bring about a harvest. And I need to get these books into their hands 
before that inevitable day comes when censorship and Big Brother will lock the whole thing down. And I'm very serious about that. Again, it's not bad stewardship. It's what is my priority? What am I all about? I'm not all about the money. Anybody who's known me for years knows that's the truth. I don't tell you everything I do. I almost never tell you. In fact, I'm going to tell you something now that I don't recall telling you. On average, on average, I work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, I've kind of burnt myself out in the last three years. And uh, so, so it's down to 12 hours a day. Prior to that, for like 35 years, I was working like an average of 16 hours a day. And, uh, you know, going all around the world, writing, uh, speaking. And uh, why did I work so hard? I wasn't working so hard. I, I'm not paid a dollar uh, an hourly wage. I'm donating my time to this ministry because there's, there's very few people doing this. And this is what God has told me to do. And I've found that if I will step out on faith and do what God has told me to do, even though it doesn't appear in the short term that I'm being paid for it, I have discovered that if I'm faithful to God and do what he tells me to do, that even though I may not get an immediate financial return, over the long run, the Lord will consistently be faithful to funnel donations and contributions and gifts from people like you who are partnering with me in the ministry, along with your prayers and your willingness to sign on to our e-blast, our Rumble page, our Facebook, Brighteon.com, and the other social media. It's what we do. And then, you know, in the drop of a hat, I have people approach me all the time saying they want to be my fulfillment company, which means that if I pay them a, a significant percentage of of revenues generated from book sales and stuff like that, they will handle the shipping, the packaging, and everything else, which, by the way, is a big burden off our shoulders. Now, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody, and I'm not saying everybody should do this. But if you'll notice that when you get a package from Paul McGuire Ministries in Paradise Mountain Church with books and other ministry materials, you'll notice that. Uh, yeah, there's a mailing label printed out with PayPal and, and the uh, post office or whatever, because we send them essentially overnight or two-day delivery as best we can. But you'll also notice that on the return address or when we send you, you know, a monthly letter uh, for donations or prayer requests, you'll notice that the address, the return address, and the address and name it's being mailed to from our ministry, notice that it is written in hand with ink, and it's written by an actual person, not a machine. Your, your package, your letter that comes from our ministry is actually inked and written by a human being using a pen. That's not because we can't afford a fulfillment company. We can but I have a choice. I can stay up late with my wife talking, drinking coffee. And most of the time, and I'm not ashamed to say this, I, I wear it as a badge of courage, a badge of honor. Most of the time, the, the volunteers who put the books in the packages, the volunteers 
who write your name in handwritten ink, who write the return address in handwritten ink. Well, guess what? The people that are putting your books and you see handwritten notes, sometimes a personal note to you on the cover of the envelope, but the handwritten notes, the handwritten names of who we're mailing it to and where it's coming from, guess who the two volunteers are that are mailing these things out to you personally? One person is me, Paul McGuire. The other person is my wife of over 40 years, Christina McGuire. We do it personally. We do it personally because that way we feel we have a personal touch, a personal bond, a personal relationship with the people that are ordering our books. And so you don't probably realize it, but the name that's signed on the envelopes, the mailing envelopes and the other envelopes, they're either handwritten by my wife, Chris, or they're handwritten by me, Paul McGuire. And that gives, uh, and I often, a matter of fact, I, 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 I demand politely to my wife because she works extremely hard, so I really don't have a right to demand anything. Uh, but I tell her, please tell me, you know, if these people responded, please let me know uh, about donations and contributions that are coming in. Please let me know uh, the names of the people in what areas they're coming from who are ordering product or sending in a prayer request. Why? Because I want to know personally who it is that is standing with me in this ministry. I want to know your names, where you live, so that I can pray for you And I, when I have the opportunity. And that opportunity may be taking 15 envelopes to the mailbox, walking them there barefoot, your name is on it, and as I put the 10 or 15 envelopes in the mailbox, I am praying for you by name as I put your envelope or shipment in the mailbox. You see, this is a very personal thing. And and I'll, and, and I'll tell you where this came from. I benefited a lot by, by a number of big television ministers uh, over the years. You know, the media says they're all bad. Well, I, I know a lot of them. They're not all bad. Some are, not all of them. People like Pat Robertson, D, Dr. D. James Kennedy, and stuff, and others. But all of them, now, of course, you know, you have to take it in context. Their mailing lists are like in the millions and millions of people, so they can't possibly answer them all personally. But I was really fed and really taught by them. But I noticed, and again, it's comparing apples with oranges, that all their communications to me were mechanized, computerized. There was no personal person writing me. It was always a computer. And again, I'm not knocking them. It's, it's a lot harder to mail out a million envelopes or a million orders than it is to do what we do in a smaller ministry. But I, I, I must tell you that I always felt a little empty and hollow and cheated that, that I, I didn't always get a personal response. Now, in the defense of these men, many times these very busy men did give me a personal response. And I thank God for that. But since we're a smaller ministry that is very efficient, to the degree that I can, I try to prioritize a personal relationship, me personally praying for you, me personally mailing out your order and whatever. So I want you to know my heart. And, and, and I'll tell you the person who did that the most, while, while all the big ministers, this is probably in the 60s, it began in the 60s and 70s. When all the big ministries in America were, were building these massive computerized mailing lists and all their correspondence and fundraising and product fulfillment was done by computer and machines, 
every couple of months, I would get a handwritten letter written to me and my wife, Christina, personally. And it was written personally by Edith Schaefer, the wife of the great Dr. Francis Schaefer, the philosopher and the Christian theologian. And often he would sign it too. But remarkable thing, the thing that I got from these personal letters that I got from Francis Schaefer and Edith Schaefer that were mailed to me from Switzerland, where their, where their Labrie Christian Bible Study Apologetics Center was located. It was a place called Labrie. Um, when Edith Schaefer would give me an update about what's going on in the ministry, and I'm sure, you know, relatively speaking, they had a large mailing list. She would write me, Edith Schaefer would write me and others, a 15-page letter, 15 handwritten pages. Now, that's an enormous sacrifice, but let me tell you something. Unlike most of the computerized mail I got, I would read Edith Schaefer, and my wife would read Edith Schaefer's handwritten 15-page letters from beginning to end, and they really ministered to me. You know why? Because I knew they were personal. I knew that she prayed for me, and I knew that this was a personal ministry. It was the real deal. It wasn't a soulless corporation. So I know that's kind of a diversion, but I want to share that with you. That is the foundation of this ministry. It's not just what you do. It's how you do it. And this is an essential Bible truth. The problem with so many Christian ministries over the years has been that they have a me-too attitude. Whenever the secular world or the marketing world or the fulfillment world comes up with new some new snazzy way of getting money out of people, and you know, then they tried uh, generating what looked like handwritten letters to you, but in fact they weren't handwritten letters to you. They were a new kind of computer-generated letter to you that looked like it was written by a human being, but it didn't fool anybody because all you would do is lick your index finger, rub your licked index finger over the place where the big evangelists signed their name, and if the ink didn't bleed, if the ink didn't smudge, that was proof to you that that handwritten signature was not signed by a human being, it was signed by a machine using special ink. So you see, in terms of being strategic, in terms of being cutting edge, you've got to be ahead of the game not following the trends of 30 years ago. And so for me, as I cry out to God for wisdom every day, as you should, I ask God to give me wisdom and guidance so that I can be ahead of the game and effective and strategic for his kingdom. And then the Lord will speak to you. And what the Lord began to speak to me about a number of years ago, with all my books, etc., and speaking, the Lord kept saying to me over and over again, Paul, you live in a depersonalized, soulless world where people are psychologically isolated, spiritually isolated. There's no, there's no more valid human communications. There's no sense of true family. Ministries operate like secular corporations. And then the Lord would continue to teach me about this, and the Lord would say over and over again, he said, this produces a hollow ring or a hollow vibration in the hearts and souls of people. He said, Paul, people are starving for authenticity, for integrity, for reality and communication, for real people reaching out and loving them and caring about them. 
And as I began to realize that, I realized all the communications we send out with Paradise Mountain Church and Paul McGuire Ministries, they don't amount to much if they're not personally connected to you. If if we don't, not, it's not about faking it. If we don't con- convey the sense that we're personally connected to you, because we are, then then we've missed the mark. And I'll give you an example. I say this all the time, but this is, I don't have a PR department writing my my words. I don't have a PR department writing my words so I sound compassionate. You know what I'm saying? I don't have a script that I'm reading from. I talk every day from the heart. So, so what I'm trying to say is that um, people are hurting. People are aching like never before. And it really took off with the COVID epidemic. People are still in shell shock over the COVID epidemic or pandemic, excuse me. But we can turn this around. And so my burden, and the Lord knows my heart, my, my, my wife knows my heart, people who know me personally know my heart. My goal, my burden is not to be rich, make money, to be famous, to win some big award, to be invited to speak at the biggest conference as a keynote speaker. That is not my goal. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but that is not my consuming goal. My consuming goal is to equip you with the truth of God's Word, teach you about the power of the Holy Spirit. But my goal is to energize you, to motivate you, to give you the wisdom to take your children back and your young adults back that have been stolen from you by militant secular humanist organizations. My goal is to help you get your children back and to bring healing to your families and give you practical tools that will enable you to strategically and effectively take our nation, America, back from the Luciferian globalist elite that have used secretive technologies, mass mind control like the Nazis did and the communist Chinese did, and to teach you, my job is to teach you not to give in to despair, not to give in to defeat. My job is to teach you that it is possible to win these spiritual victories by following the plan of God diligently. And so that's why I keep incorporating teachings about David, the shepherd boy, Joshua and Caleb, and so on and so forth. Because David, unlike the armies of Israel, which were shaking in their boots as Goliath strutted back and forth, mocking the children of Israel, David, a shepherd boy, approached Goliath, the Nephilim giant, with a slingshot. And all of a sudden, this is why I keep teaching you about the Holy Spirit. Just because there's a lot of, not all, but there's a lot of wackos, nuts, con men, and everything else that, that kind of like are hucksters and, and, and merchandise the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and miracles. That dishonesty does not mean that legitimate biblical miracles are not still happening today on a regular basis, because they are. And so. Um, I I pray to the Lord, and um, I ask him for wisdom and strategy. And I believe, like David, when you looked at it through the worldly perspective, it was impossible for David to take down Goliath. But you see, he walked up to Goliath, and this has happened to me in my own ministry. Not because I'm special. The same thing can happen to you. What happened to me is, 
I had to face powerful spiritual enemies that had infiltrated the conference that I was speaking at. And all of a sudden, when I walked into the giant conference room, as I was crossing the threshold of the doorway entrance, in a nanosecond, the energy and the power of my inner man was miraculously transformed. I went from a, a place of a certain amount of anxiety and fear, and by the time I crossed through the threshold of the doorway, I was filled with an overwhelming sense of supernatural power, an overwhelming sense of supernatural boldness and authority, and I was overwhelmed as I realized I was filled with a supernatural sense of God's authority, and that I was filled with power from on high, and no spirit of fear was anywhere near me. I was a completely revolutionized man spiritually. And so when I went into the environment of spiritual warfare, I literally was fearless. I was bold as a lion, and I knew that I, I did not generate any of these attributes because of some virtue of my own. God simply answered my prayer and downloaded it to me with force at the moment I needed it. And so the enemy was scattered, and the enemy ultimately fleed, because the enemy was now not encountering Paul McGuire. The enemy was now encountering a Paul McGuire who was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the, and the direction of the battle changed. So that's exactly what happened to David. And that's why he, I believe, unexpectedly thundered out the words to Goliath, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? And then he took his slingshot and dropped Goliath. Then he marched to Goliath with the massive Syrian armies behind Goliath. He beheaded Goliath. He held up the head of Goliath so that all the Syrian armies could see that their champion was decapitated by a warrior of God. And then the Syrian army fled for their lives. I'm not calling for bloodshed, violence, or law-breaking in any way, shape, or form. But I'm saying within the realms of what could be categorized as a spiritual battle, you and I can walk in that kind of authority and power from on high. All it takes is a willingness to, to come to God with a mustard seed of faith, and you will be amazed at the unimous power that will break free from your life. Okay, God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. We're fighting an all-out war. Time is running out. We are experiencing in America right now, we are being attacked from within. Every major institution in America is under attack. The people are subjected to psychological warfare, and they're reeling from it. So if we continue on in the present modality, we're going to go down, be defeated and enslaved, and we will be captured into some type of communist globalist state. I don't believe that that has to happen. I believe that if we seek the face of God and ask him for an authentic biblical revival and an authentic biblical third great awakening, we can experience a seismic shift in America, and we can take back the land that God gave to the pilgrims and Puritans in a covenant relationship with God. We can take back that land, and we can activate once again the covenant that God made with the pilgrims and Puritans. So visit paulmcguire.us, that's paulmcguire.us, and while you're there ordering books like A Prophecy of the Future of America, Volume 1 and 2, The Day the Dollar Died, um, 
the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world, Conquering the Matrix, Power from on High, and many other books uh, at a, a massive discount, uh, be sure to simply ask the Lord, Lord, how much would you have me give Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church, how much would you have me give in terms of donations, contributions, and gifts? Then obey the Lord when he directs you to sign on to our numerous social media outreaches. Very important that you do that. And help us break the lies and the, the, the strategies to suppress and marginalize us because the fact of the matter is they're rigging our numbers. So I need you to methodically join, sign up for, follow um, our eblast and our other social media pages so that they can no longer suppress our numbers. Your name doesn't show up anywhere. So but when you do that, we can move our numbers by thousands very quickly. Now, I should have done that a long time ago, but I didn't. Now I've got to make up time. But you can be a valuable help. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in a moment. You are now listening to the Paul McGuire. This is Paul McGuire. Okay. <clears throat> I'm holding up my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America. And I want to read to you something that I think you will find uh, vital to know, okay? which is the relationship between the Illuminati radicals, the French Revolution, and the Communist Revolution. And we could today connect that to the Global Reset Revolution. And so what you have to understand is that between the years 1913 and 1914, Great Britain, the globalist elite, the most powerful international banking families, the wealthiest families in the world, which are there are approximately 15 or 12 of the top, what they call Illuminati bloodline families. Okay? And the primary way that they captured control of the United States of America was through the illegal implementation of the Federal Reserve Banking System known as the Federal Reserve Act. And it's important for you to know this. Um, what they said, these international bankers said in their own writing, is that they deliberately seized control of the American monetary system through the Federal Reserve Act. And I'm reading from my book, Prophecy of Future of America, because he who controls the money controls the nations. That's a quote from uh, Rothschild. Um, okay, so so what happened was they first seized control of our money system through the Federal Reserve Act, which is illegal and still is illegal. Why? Because according to the Constitution and Bill of Rights of America, it is only we, the people of the United States of America, and our personally elected representatives that have the power to control our own money system our own banking system, the printing of money, uh, the control of interest rates, um, and all kinds of financial policies. It is only by law, constitutional law, that we the people have the right to do that. So the powerful international bankers, in a very deceptive and criminal manner, sneaked into our nation, passed the Federal Reserve Act, 
by manipulating both political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats. And then, um, as Rothschild said, he who controls the money controls the nation. And what we have to understand is that the powerful international banking families, the globalist elite, the trillionaire families, they operate under the principle that he who controls the money controls the politicians and the political system. So their goal is always to control the monetary system because they know that way they will automatically be given control of uh, the uh, political system. Now, our founding fathers from the beginning in the American Revolution were very, very concerned that there would be an attempt via Great Britain specifically to try to take back America by the establishment of a Federal Reserve System. What is a Federal Reserve System? In its simplest terms, a Federal Reserve System is a system where the private banks, the richest international banking families in the world, the Federal Reserve System, all of these people seize control of our monetary system, our money, the printing of money, interest rates, inflation, recession, and they control our monetary system illegally. That's what this is about. And um, so going back to 1913 and 1914, our founding fathers, who already feared uh, that that was going to eventually happen, it, it, it indeed started to happen. Uh, beginning in 1913, with the passage of the Illegal Federal Reserve Act. So when you constantly hear, and I used to debate on the biggest shows of the Fox News Network, the Fox Business Channel, and CNN, you know, this was a decade or so ago, I was on the biggest shows, I debated the biggest economists in the whole thing, and nobody ever shot straight about what the Federal Reserve was. It was like an unspoken rule. You couldn't really expose it. So what happened was our entire monetary system in the United States of America, with the passage of the Federal Reserve Act, uh, our entire monetary system was placed in the hands of an international banking cartel of powerful bankers like the Rothschilds who are directly connected to the Illuminati. The Federal Reserve System allows a group of foreign international banking families to control the to control our economic system these international banking families with names like rockefeller rothschild jp morgan and so on are connected to the very powerful occult secret societies that go all the way back to the rosicrucians led by sir francis bacon in europe in the mid 1800s and ultimately all the way back to babylon Although Thomas Jefferson may have embraced Masonic beliefs, and many of his friends were Masons, such as George Washington, James Moore, Dr. Benjamin Rush, James Madison, etc., Jefferson understood better than most so-called Christians the satanic nature of a national bank, uh, also known as a Federal Reserve System. And so uh, Thomas Jefferson issued this warning to the American people. And I urge you to listen closely to Jefferson's warning, quote, which is in my book, uh, A Prophecy of the Future of America. Quote, if the American people ever allow private banks in control 
of the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Now, if you think Jefferson is exaggerating, you're nuts. Jefferson knew exactly where these international bankers would take America if they ever gained control of the monetary system. And I just want to highlight some words that Jefferson is telling us, because guess what, folks? Those words are coming true right now at this moment in America. Jeff, again, Jefferson says, if the American people ever allow private banks, that means Rothschild banks, Rockefeller banks, the international banking family banks, if they ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, which, by the way, again, belongs to we the people, first by allowing inflation, which our politicians have done, then by deflation, which is happening now, the banks and corporations that will grow up all around them will deprive the people, the American people, of all property. So you know what that means? It means it wasn't an accident when the COVID pandemic happened and there was all these lies and talking about how there would be all this money coming out of Washington to specifically help protect and to specifically help to build up private family-owned businesses all across America. That means businesses of 25 people, 250 people, 500 people, 3,000 people. Small business owners, and those small businesses can be relatively large, have always been the backbone of the U.S. economy. So when the COVID pandemic occurred and all the deals were made with the federal government and the international banking families, all those payouts, all those stimulus checks mysteriously were all funneled back into the hands of the U.S. government, and they were mysteriously all funneled back into the hands of all the big, gigantic uh, mega corporations like Walmart and Target and the big, big retailers. But that was not the original purpose of the stimulus money. The stimulus money regarding the pandemic was supposed to protect and stimulate small privately owned and family owned businesses. So privately owned small family businesses were betrayed. They were stolen from. They were ripped off. Okay? So so this is what happened. Um, and the reason that was done is because big government is in bed with the big communist Marxist movement in America, and it is their goal and intention to economically force your average American, unless they have a very high pedigree of education, to force your average American, who formerly could have made a good living, you know, owning your own pizza place, restaurant, truck delivery company. I mean, there were thousands of businesses all across America that allowed the average working man and middle class man or woman, it allowed them to gain wealth, buy houses, hire new employees, open up franchises. And it was the backbone, it was the super rocket booster of the American economy. But the communists and the Marxists and the globalists didn't like that. So they deliberately funneled all that stimulus money out of the hands of small or medium-sized family businesses. They funneled all the money that was supposed to go to them 
so that they could rebuild their businesses. And they channeled all that money that they stole into the hands of globalist corporations, gigantic super retailers, international banks. And in other words, the, the businesses owned and controlled by the globalist elite became the, the sole beneficiaries of all the stimulus checks. So that's what I call the great heist. And whether you're aware of it or not, if you're a private business owner of any kind, this is what you're up against. Because you see, they want you to work. They don't want you to be a business owner. They're lying. They want you to be a slave. They want you to be an employee. They want you to work at minimum wage. You who formerly owned your own family business, your own private business, and you had the opportunity of if you worked really hard, you could generate a future worth living in. They have stolen that from you. Wake up. They have stolen that from you. And now, and they've taken all the money that you were supposed to get, and they've put it back in the hands of the globalist elite and their pet corporations. Because why? Because they don't want you making that extra money. They want you to be locked down in a total control system, also known as the global reset, where you work for minimum wage and you essentially become a slave working at minimum wage for some giant multinational corporation. And with one fell swoop, they, they burned down the house in the American dream because they wanted to destroy the American dream. They want to shatter hope. They want to inject fear in you. They want to inject a failure consciousness in you. And they want to take you down and steal from you everything that's yours. No exaggeration. That's the, I'm telling you the truth. So, um, I, as I write in my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, the international bankers have hijacked our entire financial system. By, and I wrote this, by the way, years before the pandemic. I understood what was coming and wrote and spoke about it many years before it hit the radio screen of the mainstream media and the alternative media. I wrote my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, that I've been quoting to you from. I wrote that book in 2013. In 2013, I was way, way, way ahead of the game and knew what was happening. And I have other books written even further in the past where I predict with 100% accuracy what's going to happen. So my track record, if you want to criticize me, you're going to have to face my track record. And my track record is impeccably, impeccably at the very highest of standards. I don't make stupid statements. And, and issue these prophetic, uh, delusionary statements telling you things are going to happen, and they never happen. My track record is based on integrity because I do my homework. I study my posterior off. I do my research. For who? For you. For your family. For your children. For your America. So you can take it back. Why? Because I'm a Christian, and the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit lives in me. Now. Uh, the international bankers have hijacked our entire financial system by artificially creating inflation, deflation, recession, the national deficit, which back then exceeded $22 trillion. It's like at $27 trillion now or higher. They're, they're spending like dr drunk pirates, and they have no money coming in. Why? Why are they doing that? Because that's the globalist elite plan for destroying America. Wake up. Don't you understand that everything that I'm reading to you Everything you see in the news all has its origination point 
in this giant master plan by the globalist elite to destroy America from within. Why? Because at the present moment, America is the last nation on planet Earth that still has a Bible-believing large percentage of the people that believes in moral absolute rights, moral wrongs, uh, uh, biblical economics, etc., etc., etc. America has not yet fallen into the deep spiritual delusion of godless antichrist communism and Marxism, which is very much alive in America. Just look at the colleges, look at the Christian churches and schools. What are they teaching? They're teaching the doctrines of Karl Marx, the father of communism. Wake up for crying out loud. You don't like me because I'm in your face? Tough. At least I can sleep well on my pillow. Where this is going, I talk to you about in my books where this is going. This is going in a particular uh, destination point. Okay, so um, then I have a chapter immediately afterwards, Debt and the Road to Serfdom or Slavery. And then I write, the international bankers print money based on nothing through the Federal Reserve System. Okay, let me stop for a moment. The international monetary system is controlled by the globalist elite, people like Klaus Schwab and others. And they are in the process of secretly launching a stealth attack to destroy the American dream. Because the American dream is a beacon of hope for the world, and the American dream still champions Christianity, the Bible, love, Jesus Christ, heaven, hope, eternal life, and the, the, the mindset that allows people to be fruitful and multiply in every sector of life. Okay, now, all of this is coming to a head all across the world. The reason the Ukraine is the center of conflict is because there are powerful interests among the globalist elite in America that want to seduce America into getting involved in a massive World War III with the Ukraine and possibly communist China. Because that may mean the death of millions of American soldiers. That may mean uh, massive economic sacrifices, massive surveillance state, but never forget the basic rules of global economics, and I'm going to repeat them to you. Don't forget the, the rules that the big boys play by. In my book, A Prophecy of the Future of America, I spell it out. In my book, The Day the Dollar Died, I spell it out. In my book, The Greatest Battle, I spell it out. And in my book, um, Power From On, I, I spell it out. What you will see is documented evidence that one of the major things that the globalist elite has done throughout history, the international banking families, the Federal Reserve, Rothschild, Rockefeller, so on and so forth, is they love to get in wars because wars generate trillions of dollars of profits to them. So they have a bloodlust, a war lust, because they make trillions and trillions of dollars selling rockets, tanks, soldiers' uniforms bombers, submarines. The longer the war lasts, the more bloody the war, the more money they make selling armaments, technology, bombs, and whatever. And they have done this all throughout history, and specifically, they accelerated it in World War I, they accelerated it in World War II, and now they're pushing like crazy behind the scenes 
They want to ignite World War III because that's in their best interest. It will give them the pretense they need to, to lock down America into a totalitarian society run by a Big Brother-style dictatorship. And that's what they want. World War III will give them the cover they need to implement the Great Reset. So again, I say to you again, wake up. You cannot afford to be in a daze. You cannot afford to be in zombie land. You need to wake up. Again, this is Paul McGuire, and you've got to understand that you're fighting against what the Bible calls Mystery Babylon. It's a temporary Luciferian system that controls the world. But even in the interim, God said, Jesus Christ said, occupy until I come. So God has given us the authority to occupy or exercise dominion or rulership over a great deal of this world system until Christ comes. Now, that means we need to get our theology, our action, our thinking, and our beliefs in alignment with what God really said and not interpreted through some kind of internal paranoia, unbelief, and skepticism. Okay, so let's understand the fact that I have a chapter in my book, Power from One Eye, entitled Understanding the Big Three and the Present World System. And I'll, I'll, I'll read to you what I wrote. The two companies that own and control the world system on behalf of the globalist elite are BlackRock and Vanguard. Big pharma banks, financial investment corporations, the majority of the media, entertainment, and news companies are owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. A third contender is State Street. The three companies together are known as the Big Three. Together, the Big Three control over $11 trillion. BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street have nearly $11 trillion in assets under their management. That is more than all the sovereign wealth funds combined and over three times the global hedge fund industry. The big three have become the largest shareholder in 40% of all publicly listed firms in the United States. In 2015, these 1,600 American firms had combined revenues of about $9.1 trillion a market capitalization of more than $17 trillion, and employed more than 23.5 million people. In the S&P 500, the benchmark, the benchmark index of America's largest corporations reveals the largest single shareholder in almost 90% of the S&P 500 firms, including Apple, Microsoft, ExxonMobil, General Electric, and Coca-Cola. In America, the big three companies have enormous power over corporate America. Basically, they control everything. They control the management and the people who run these massive corporations. The big three vote for the management in about 90% of all votes at annual general meetings. The big three are always the largest shareholders in the few competitors that remain in these sectors. American Airlines... Delta, United, Continental, and banks like J.P. Morgan, Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and Citigroup are a part of the S&P 500 index, in which the majority of American people invest. America is being undermined from within by the total power and control of these companies. Okay, so we could continue, and we are going to continue. I have the deep dive further in power from on high in the day the dollar died. An interesting thing in the day the dollar died is I talked to you about the various international banking families and bankers 
who, as a matter of fact, and I documented in my book, The Day the Dollar Died, they, fi- they financed both sides of the war in World War I and World War II. So that means international banking families, the, the globalist elite, they financed not only the Nazis, but at the same time, they financed the American military and the armies opposed to Hitler. So, so either way it went, they made money. And so even though American soldiers died in massive numbers, they were making money on it because they were selling guns, airplanes, bombs, and, and whatever you want to uh, dream up to both sides in the war. So you have to understand this. This is Mystery Babylon. This is this invisible power system we keep bumping up against. So how do we occupy until Christ comes? If we fight the battle on their terms, we're going to lose. They are worldly, earthly companies. At the very top, they are connected to Luciferian power. If we fight them on the basis of carnal weapons like money and power and tanks and bombs and media conglomerates, we're going to lose. If we do what God tells us to do, we're going to win and be victorious. And here's the secret. And this is why I need you to support me in educating and teaching God's people so that you and I together, God has given us the power, the dunamis dynamite power of God, to ignite a biblical third great awakening and a biblical uh, authentic revival. We have been given that power. So the Bible teaches us that the weapons of our warfare, and we are in a warfare, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That simply means that the weapons of our warfare in the spiritual battle against the Great Reset and Lucifer and the fallen angels, the way we approach these spiritual enemies is to employ, know how to use, and use all the spiritual, the high-powered spiritual weapons that God has placed into our hands to use. The way we obey God and occupy until he comes is not by using worldly, carnal secular methods of conquest. We are to use, once again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not just about numbers and bank accounts and and the traditional um, physical reality weaponry. Our warfare, the Bible says, for the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. It is God. But when we focus the center of our worship and tension and on the reality of God, we're entering into the place where we're using the weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Then we enter the victory zone. And then when we continue to do that, we use the supernatural power of God to defeat our Luciferian-aligned enemies. And that begins with things like repenting before God for maintaining a hard heart and a mindset of unbelief regarding God Almighty's free offer to give us the dynamite, explosive, dunamis power of God, also known as power from on high and being clothed with power from on high, which God has given us freely to be victorious in the last days. That, those are our weapons. The supernatural weapon that we have at our disposal, which so far disp- uh, passes by anything that they could possibly conceive of, is the supernatural weapons of Almighty God, mostly 
power from on high, which descends to the earth when God's people use their authority in Jesus Christ and believe, not disbelieve, the word of God. And then God will be faithful to his promises, and he will flow through his people on the earth, the dunamis dynamite power of God, also known as power from on high. Then God gives us supernatural wisdom and guidance. Then God gives us the ability and the promise in the word of God to call upon the mighty angelic armies to help us and God will then send the mighty angelic armies to not only help us, but to enable us to be victorious and bring down the demonic powers and the demonic armies. So another asset that God has given us is the angelic armies. And then after that, God has given us the technology of God. Most Christians don't even have a clue about this incredible resource God has freely given them, which is the technology of God. What is the technology of God? And I really hate to say this, but I'm going to say it because it's exasperating. How can you call yourself a professor of, of, of Christian religion or a professor or a teacher or a Bible teacher or a Christian or a Christian leader or a Christian youth group leader? How can you call yourself any of those things? And I'm not one bit better than any of you, by the way. How can you call yourself any of those things? and be so incredibly ignorant about the enormous resources and power God has already given us that guarantees we will be victorious in this last day's battle. So this is what gives us the power to be victorious. We believe God at his word. To the degree that we believe God at his word, God releases supernaturally his guidance, his resources, his supernatural power, his supernatural weapons. God sends us the angelic armies. God grants us the technology of God. God reveals to us that we're not fighting these worldly armies like the armies of Syria. We're not naked and alone. How do we know we're not naked and alone? Because if you receive power from on high, you can't possibly be naked because you're clothed with power from on high. You're clothed. And so the technology of God, quite simply, is this. Everything in the created universe, everything in the created Earth, from the subatomic uh, molecular structures to the, to the power sources, like electromagnetic frequencies, to, to, to the nature of true physics— to the reality of multiple dimensions and quantum physics, all of these areas of knowledge make it blatantly apparent that God has given us the ability to reconfigure and manipulate reality, which is just a fancy way of saying that in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has restored into his church those that are truly born again, and Jesus Christ has restored into every true believer in Jesus Christ the supernatural authority that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve the supernatural authority that supernaturally enabled them to rule and reign planet Earth with the authority of being kings and queens of planet Earth. This is massive. This is massive. 
This is seismic in its implications. And the Church of Jesus Christ in America and anywhere in the world, despite whatever its short-term sins may be, or its unbelief or apostasy may be, listen to me carefully, please. I'm compelling you, I'm urging you to hear what God is saying to the Church now. If you hear what God is saying to the Church, you will be set on fire by the supernatural power of God, and you will, from that moment forward, walk in supernatural victory. And the supernatural dunamis dynamite power of God, also known as power from on high. You are literally standing at the doorway, ready to move through the the, the threshold of the door into the promised land of God's supernatural power, which he's already given you. So you have power from on high that enables you to defeat your adversary. You have been given a restoration of supernatural authority, which reinstates your authority to function as the the rulers and those that reign over planet Earth, and to function as the king and queen of planet Earth, just like Adam and Eve did. That restoration has already begun when you were made born again by asking Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, being washed of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, being born again, and then, and then, when you became a joint heir with Jesus, your supernatural authority was fully reinstated as you now sit on a throne in heaven, a place of authority next to Jesus Christ where he sits on a throne, and you, as co-rulers with Jesus Christ, have been given the authority and power to rule and reign planet Earth from the throne room of God. Wow! I mean, wow! Now, a final closing statement here. Knowing all this, what God has given us, you're a joint heir with Jesus, and as a joint heir with Jesus, you are a supernatural recipient to all the blessings, the covenantal blessings that God has bestowed on Jesus Christ and the blessings that God has bestowed on every disciple and follower of Jesus Christ who has now become, because of the Word of God, you have now become a joint heir with Jesus, which means you share in the supernatural authority, victory, and power that God has already given to Jesus Christ. What is the sum total of all this? You need to allow God to reframe your mind regarding the last day's warfare, the last day's scenarios, and what it is that you're supposed to do, I'm supposed to do, and what it is that the true Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do in the time where we're supposed to occupy until he comes. You see, we have the whole thing upside down, and God wants to flip it right side up. It is us, the children of God, that are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The devil's crowd is on a limited timeline. The devil's crowd has a very short space of rulership. But even now, as we speak, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Supreme Being, Jesus Christ, is gathering together the armies of heaven in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ is rising from his throne in preparation of returning to earth, riding a white horse which says, Faithful and True. And Jesus Christ is in the final moments of preparation where he's going to ride on a white horse 
followed by the armies of heaven also riding white horses. And Jesus Christ, in partnership with those Christians on the earth who are occupying until he comes, we are preparing the ground. We are like the paratroopers who who flew in before the main invasion. And as we occupy until he comes, there will be a moment in time that is coming very, very soon where Jesus Christ will begin to ride to the earth, riding a white horse along with the armies of heaven. And the armies of heaven, following Jesus Christ riding a white horse, will descend on the great war of Armageddon in the Middle East. And when Jesus descends upon the war of Armageddon in the Middle East, he will use his supernatural authority and power, along with the power of the armies of heaven, to destroy Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist, all those who sold their souls to Satan for power, the Luciferian elite, and finally he will destroy all those who chose to renounce Jesus Christ as Lord and pledge to receive uh, the Antichrist and pledge to worship the Antichrist as God. Christ is returning very quickly to destroy all of that. He's going to send all of these rebellious individuals and angels. He's going to send them into the lake of fire. And all those who uh, did not worship Jesus Christ, all those that were not born again, all those whose name is not written in the book of life, will be sent into the lake of fire. And then eventually they will stand before the great white throne of judgment. The books in heaven will be opened as God Almighty is the supreme judge. And God Almighty will look to see whether or not your name is written in the book of life. If your name is written in the book of life, you will be granted to live in heaven for all eternity, and you will rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. If, if, your, if your book is written in the book of heaven, then you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be confused with the uh, great white throne of judgment. You will give an account of everything you did or didn't do for Jesus Christ down here on earth. And you, the believer, standing before the judgment seat of Christ, will receive, before you pass into heaven, enormous rewards for your faithfulness and service, like soul winning and ministering to the poor. And every time you were obedient and did something for Jesus Christ, God kept a careful record of your faithfulness. And so you will find yourself in your brand new body standing before Jesus Christ in heaven. And Jesus will look at you with his blazing eyes of love. He will look directly into your eyes. And Jesus will say directly to you by name. He will say these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then eternity will begin. And the devil and his forces will be destroyed and locked up and placed in God's supermax prison. So it begin, it has begun already, and it's accelerating now. My question to you is, the way it works is simply this. Whatever God talks to you about doing, make the habit of stepping out by faith and doing it. The more you do what God tells you to do, the more you will exponentially grow in spiritual power and victory. Now, if you decide to rebel against God and pretend that you cannot hear the voice of God, 
when he tells you what to do and you just shirk it off, you will you will make it into heaven if you're born again. But you're going to go through a process um, at the great white, no, a process in which everything you did for self, everything you refused to do for God at the judgment seat of Christ will be burnt up with tremendous fire and heat. And yet, because you're saved, you will, um, you will just manage to escape the burning house, which represents your life. You will just manage to escape like a man or a woman racing out of their house before it collapses down upon them in flames. But even though everything will be burned up as wood, hay, and uh, you know, garbage, you will make it into heaven, kind of by the skin of your teeth. But why do that? If you would simply make a purpose of your heart to obey God, like when God speaks to you, write down all the times God has put an impression to do something in your heart. Write down all the times when God is speaking to you, speaking to you, has spoken to you, and then simply keep a casual record of the fact: Did you obey Him? How did you obey Him? And how long did it take you to obey Him? And God will reward you beyond your wildest dreams, because heaven, you're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The cosmic party beyond all cosmic parties. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. We are victorious. Now we need to pick up the weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God and pull down strongholds like the Goliaths that are intimidating a church in America. Stand up in the boldness that only the Spirit of God can produce and take back the land that was stolen from the pilgrims and Puritans and the mighty men and women of God that possessed America for his purposes. Take back the land and be victorious. The righteous are bold as a lion. Visit paulmcguire.us. Stand with us on Paul McGuire.